All right, welcome to episode 13 of the BobbyCast. Uh, just uh, a little word. We are uh, we're moving over, so if you search this on iHeartRadio, just uh, search BobbyCast, one word, and all the episodes will be up. And uh, for the time being, it'll still be up on the On Demand channel, but after, I think, episode 20 or so, then uh, it'll just be on the BobbyCast channel. That's right, Mike, right? Yep. All right, so and I appreciate you guys. This has become the largest podcast in in country music, and the cool thing is we don't just have to have country artists on. We've had actors, and you know today is cool for me because it's it's cool when I get to bring in people that I'm a genuine fan of. Uh, Noel Skaggs from Fits in the Tantrums is here. Hi, Noel. Hi. So Hello. here, let me. I like to do a circle. So we're gonna start, and I want to start with a circle of how you and I met, and then now musically, and then just kind of go around because you have you have such an interesting story. <laughs> So first, this is the story of, of how I met Noel. The, the Patriots were playing in the Super Bowl. I think it was Patriots and Seahawks. Yes, it was. It was the year I cried after Green Bay lost. And, not, <laughs> not, and I'm like, hey, I'm having a Super Bowl party, and I never have Super Bowl parties. I never have anything in my house. And this is today, by the way, this is the last name at my house. It's a disaster. As you walked in, you saw it. Like, it's a disaster, right? <laughs> It's not bad. It, it, it's really great now. But, yeah. But it's like all plywood everywhere. There's sawdust everywhere. I kind of was like tunnel vision because I heard. Don't look around. <laughs> yes. It, drilling and everywhere. Drilling. Yeah. So this is the last day here in this place. But two Super Bowls ago, I had a party. And Nada, who works on the show and is obviously a close friend, she shows up and you're with her. And. <laughs> Nada just has a lot of friends, and we kid Nada because she has friends that we don't know. She's the only one in our group that has all these friends that we don't know. <laughs> and we're all really close to Nada, but Nada, our producer, has like 100 friends that we've never seen before in our life. <laughs> She'll have an Instagram with 40 people, and we're like, Nada, we don't know any of them. Yes. And she's the only one of all of our group that we just, because she's, she's cool, right? We're not that cool. So Nada shows up with Noel, and I'm looking at Noel, and I'm like, <sighs> She looks so familiar. I'm watching the game. I don't say anything about it. And I look over at Nada and I say, hey, Nada, I know her. Like, have you brought her? <laughs> and we hadn't met. We, we had never met before. And I'm like, Nada, have, have you brought her to the studio? And she was like, no, this is my friend. I was like, from Fifth and the Tantrums? And for a minute, I was like, oh, I just saw them like play. And so I kind of geeked out. And I didn't tell you about that because I don't want, want to not be cool. But I was like, that's crazy. That you were... So anyway, since then, it's become a lot more normal because yes. now you're at, you live in Nashville now. I live in Nashville yeah, now. Yeah, and, and you hang yeah. out with Nada more. I hang out with Nada and, all the time. <laughs> and I get to watch Snapchat, see your Snapchat, Nada Snapchat, and you're around. But that's the first story where I was kind of like, that's crazy because um, I saw you guys play Austin City Limits. Wow. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Y- Wait, the first year or the? Probably, probably the first, first year. year yeah. yeah, probably yeah. the first year. And I was a fan then. And for me, you know. I do this massive country show now, but I've done a national alternative show. I've done a national pop show. I just love music. Yeah. And so when it comes to a group like you guys, that's just so eclectic. And I would play you guys in the alternative station that I was on. Um, you know, I was just a big fan. And so anyway, that's how we met the very first time. That was a, that's a weird story. Um, so let's start with right now and hand clap. This is a song that you guys have right now. And so maybe you guys have heard that we played this on our show. Yes, and thank you for that because Nada would tell me like Bobby has played your song. We played every morning. I love, like, like I love it. Incredible, thank you, thank you so much. I don't BS. I just won't say I'm not. Like I won't go, hey, I'm not a fan. Yeah, but I won't say I'm a fan <laughs> if I'm not. If that makes yes. sense. Yes, I get that. So no, and you are so in fits of the tantrums. Just before I start playing songs here, as they have all of you guys, it's like. You're the lead, you're the co-lead singer. Yes. So what does that mean? We basically trade roles. You know, we're either singing duets together or it's, you know, me kind of like hyping up the crowd and it's really double vocals. It always has been. I think because of the beginning of our career when we were doing the EP and stuff like that, I came in on the end of the EP being created. So it was kind of like people trying to figure out where their positions were. And as we kept touring, he realized that, oh, I can't, she can't be a backup singer because that's not you're too good. her thing. I'm not, yeah. yeah you're, you're, Thank your you. Presence is, <laughs> and not just your vocals, but your presence is too good, which is something that you, the, the presence is, the, listen, there are a lot of great singers. Yeah, yeah. But there aren't a lot of great singers that have great presence. 
And so, and I think that's a, that's a place where you really shine. Uh, so here's Hand Clap, by the way, which we've played on our show many times. It's a big country song, by the way, we've played many <laughs> it's times. It's amazing. Yeah, it's <laughs> So you have this song, and whenever you guys like have this song and you, you put it together for the first time, or you're like cutting it as a, a demo, it doesn't sound like this. Obviously, what does it sound? Is it just a couple guitars? Is it a, a, a keyboard? Well, it's it's crazy because this particular song, I wasn't even there for it. Uh, we co-wrote it with this guy Sam Hollander, who's actually a really big songwriter. Um, that I got to meet as we were going through the process of creating all of these songs, Fitz and him were in the studio together. And if I know anything about Fitz, he writes, we write exactly the same. He came up with a really cool beat first. That was it. It was just like drum beat and then keyboards. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's exactly how it was because we write exactly the same for me. I'm always moved by rhythms first. And then I get my little hands on the keyboard and start, you know, pulling out parts and stuff like that. And uh, if I know anything about Fitz, that's exactly what happened because the beat is so strong, you know. So when he actually sent the shell of the song together, one, I didn't understand what he was saying. You know, I'm like the first listener of like lyrics and stuff. And I was like, I can't quite make out what you're saying in the words. So that's, you know, like, but the beat is hot. And all I wanted to do was sing on it. So you would get this and it would be like. Yeah, exactly. All gibberish. So, so kind of, kind of the melody, but the beat was really yes, there. Exactly. Such a, like, such a good song, though. But you could tell it was a good. Yeah. Like from the minute you heard it. You know, it's one of those songs. Like both of us. You know, when Fitz sent me the initial idea before everything was, you know, kind of put together as far as lyrics and where we were going to go with the song. You know, I was kind of like. This is immediate, like, I know exactly which harmonies need to go where. You know, it was like, let me get in the booth now. Let me fly to L.A. Because I was here in Nashville when he sent the demo over to me. And I was like, this is really different for us. One, you know, because now we're, like, kind of reaching into the the pop realm more so than alternative. Kind of the pop electro, exactly. which is different than the, than right, our the last two records. Like the Walker, yeah. for, like different, yeah. completely Way different, different sound. Yeah, yeah. Way different sound. So it's like, okay, now we're going to stretch here. How do I bring the fits and the tantrum things that people are used to kind of hearing so we're not shell-shocking our fans, you know? So I had to think about it in the in the creative process of actually getting into the room and singing and making sure that our voices were working together and, you know, you were still kind of getting that fits and, fits and the tantrum sass, you know, sound even though the music had kind of changed a little bit more forward-thinking. So it finally happened. You guys did uh, Dancing with the Stars two weeks ago? Yeah. Wait, wait, two weeks ago? Yeah. And so that song, though, weird to play live because it's so electronic or no? No, it actually pulls off. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's incredible about the guys in general. Everybody in this band, we know how to make things organic. You know, whether it's, you know, creating production elements and making them sound really good and alive, you know, kind of atmosphere that's something that we do really, really well, and it's because we are so nitpicky. You know, it's like, oh, that's too much. Let's take this out. It sounds a lot better, you know, for the drums to take over this part live, even though it doesn't do it on record. You know, it's it's really about being meticulous and how you want to appear to the public. You know, and we never want it to be that band that's like push buttons and only hit, you know, hit and he just plays the kick sure. drum. You want to be a bunch of tracks with just a exactly. little bit of it. Exactly. But you got, but uh, the, the no guitar thing, like no guitar, mm-hmm. like, so talk about that for a second. Cause you have a band and you don't have, don't a, have guitar. a guitar. <laughs> yeah. You don't have a, I, um, definitely in the beginning stages of us writing songs, you know, coming down to the way Fitz and I write, we both write on piano, you know, that's, that's really that how first we start off thing. Yeah. I don't play it really well, but it's the one thing that I understand. I tried playing guitar. It didn't work out for me. It hurts. It's a very painful instrument you, Literally, for me. it hurts your it fingers. It physically yes, hurts yes. me. So I was a lot better on piano. Um, it's the same with him. You know, sit down. I come up with melodies better in that, in that atmosphere. And 
we really wanted to say something without using the most used instrument in all of music to see if we could actually pull it off, you know, and that because we don't really write with guitars, it did make sense for us to have, have a, guitar. a guitar player coming in and, you know, noodling and doing all of these things. And what we found is this really distinct vibe that we were getting with having horn arrangements in addition to the vocals. So the horns kind of like taking that percussive element that you would find with a guitarist, you know, and, and that's what set you guys apart to me though, early too, yeah. was the horns, and the vocals. And like, for example, I, I mentioned the Walker a minute ago. It's just different instruments. Yeah. A lot of sense. A, a lot of sense. What you got? Wait, is this your biggest song? This is one of our biggest songs. Would yes, you say- bad and out of my league. Yeah, yeah. Like I heard this one played at like ball games and stuff. They'll play this over the yeah. top. But that's when you know you kind of got a big song whenever yeah. they're playing it for a crowd somewhere. Yeah. You ever walk in a mall or something and they're playing one of your songs? Because you guys are cool. <laughs> you guys are cool enough that you can go into like an express and they're playing fits in the dance room. It often happens to me at the CVS stores. Really? <laughs> I don't know why. That's Every funny. time I'm like. Q-tip buying. One of, uh, on. one of my, I was talking to one of my friends. I was like, hey, yeah. I knew I was coming over fits in the tantrum. She was like, I love Money Grabber. Like that. Yeah. And that's, a f- that's a few years old, though. Yeah, that's, from that's back our in the very day. first record. Yeah, that's from back in the day. Yeah. Even with this, it's got that old school. Yeah. A lot of Motown stacks, kind of, you know, 80s new wave. That was really the vibe we were filling when we were creating this, that record. You know, it was what we grew up with things that sounded amazing on Fitz's voice because he was really just starting to find his voice when that album was created when we started getting together and we started actually working on Money Grabber when you're talking about a song that changed significantly that song had like maybe three or four different c-section ideas that we had come up with until we finally got to the bridge one two it had a singing bridge it had instrument bridge it had I don't know what else didn't work on there, but we went back and forth and we worked on this song before it was actually done. I think we had gone back maybe three or four different times with different drafts of just the bridge section alone because we couldn't nail it. We couldn't figure out what was missing. It's interesting with you guys because just hearing how the band was put together, it was, and you can kind of tell the story where it was like, hey, you know, this person knows this person. You guys got together and in like a week you were doing a show and then you guys were just kind of a band. Yeah. Uh, so how did the group come together? Our saxophone player, James King, actually went to school with Fitz. James and I knew each other from my previous band because he had come in and done horn arrangements on two of our songs on that record. And then later on, after I'd left, I, I would say probably about two years later, we ended up going on another tour together because I was asked to kind of like sit in as a lead for a, a Scion tour that they were doing with all these like crazy hip hop artists. And uh, he and I were part of that unit and I led the band for our opening set and then would do kind of like backup, like I would say more sample driven kind of stuff for the hip hop artists that we were backing up. Anyway, so maybe like six months later after we had done this tour, I get this random message from James and he's like, yo, you know, I just finished up this project with a really good friend of mine named Michael and we are looking to do the live show. I know you left your last band. I'm not sure if you'll be into it because it's kind of a backup thing, but will you listen to it? I'd love to hear what you think. So they approached you as a, like you said, as a backup singer for the band. They wanted me to do a backup session or basically one show. Sure. That's what we were looking at. One show. Will you do it? Sure. I don't know. Let me see what it sounds like. And there was a song on the EP that they sent over called Darkest Street. And that was the song for me that was like, oh, this is really special. Like, I can totally hear what he's trying to do. And I feel like it's going to do something really cool. So I went in to the rehearsal maybe like three months later. And uh, we started singing together. And he and I kind of looked at each other. And it was just exactly like the record it sounded exactly like the record and uh after that it was kind of like he just walked out of the room for a bit like we had a break and you know he comes back in and he's like hey so i finalized the booking of you know hotel cafe i didn't know it hadn't been booked yet i thought it was we were already doing it and i guess he called and said yeah i want to do the show so we ended up doing the show 
on five songs. Like it was like, how are we going to pull a five song set off? I've never done that before, you know? And we stretched out things and it just became, (laughs) you know, this really cool energetic situation. And, uh, you know, the feedback that I'd gotten from my manager after we, you know, kind of talked because he had our first manager come in to the show because he was interested in seeing what she thought. She was an A&R at Warner Music Group at the time. And uh, she comes and, you know, she and I had talked about the history and she's like, I didn't think that it was going to be as cool as it was until I saw the live set, you know, because she had never really heard music being done like that. She didn't quite get it. And that was a lot of responses that we had gotten from people just on the, the EP in general. They weren't quite sure what it was supposed to be, if it was supposed to be like the Sharon Jones and the Dap King sound, or if it was supposed to be like Mark, you know, like, and it was just wasn't, it was just him at the time. It was just like the sound that was created. But then when you heard it live and you saw us together, it kind of made sense. He's like, oh, that's what I see what he's going for. Then after that, we just started recording, you know, him, him and I would get into a room together. We wrote picking up the pieces together, uh, which was on the very first record. And that was like the very first duet song he and I had ever done. And it was a bare bones, like when he sent hand clap over same bare bones. And I came up with my verse and I was like, it'd be cool to kind of have this like, you know, Tammy Terrell, Marvin Gaye kind of, you know, call and response like it's your fault no it's my fault yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing so we did that together and it it that for me i think really solidified us as a duo versus it being like i'm just gonna feature on his record because it wasn't gonna last very long if that was the case for me because i had other goals in my life and my career and it just really made sense and people heard it and it translated and as that progression happened with our recording we took that onto the stage and that's what you see today when you go to, you know, see us perform, and it's like. And I saw early, like I was. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's 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 kind of go back a bit. Uh, some interesting things is, and so you sang on this song. So you're the background vocals on "Let's Get It Started" with the Black Eyed Peas. Yes. <laughs> so how did this come about? So I used to date a guy that grew up with Will I Am, and he they he was actually in a band called the At Band Clan, which was basically the original Black Eyed Peas. Um, he was one of the original members, and after they kind of you know split up, the Black Eyed Peas formed, and I met him around the time Black Eyed Peas. Is this before they before she? Because this is before Fergie. I was joined. playing Black Eyed Peas yeah. before Fergie was. It, yeah. it was just a black like yeah. You this know, was telephone. when Kim Hill. Kim Hill was the singer, and they had an entirely different band set up. And I was hanging out with those guys every day. Like I just go to the studio, and you could find me. It was like normally kind of. Sh- I was really shy. And I had always kind of been like that. Like I'd hang out with all these crazy hip hop artists and I was just watching and learning. And it was mostly to kind of fine tune my life performance and the way that I approached songs because I was always into hip hop music and really brought that into the way that I write lyrics, you know. Um, so anyway, I would always be caught in the studio, like kind of hanging out and Will was like, what do you do? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, I sing and I write. And he was like, you do? And I played him a bunch of songs that I'd written. And he was like, you wrote that? He was so shocked. Like, no idea this like little girl like sitting in his studio and stuff. And then when they started to go to recording the Elephunk record, that's when they were going through the transition of if they were going to stay with Interscope, you know, sign over with Ron Fair. The, you know, they let go of Kim Hill. Will and her couldn't get along. And they were trying to determine if they wanted me on. He, they, they wanted to take me on the original tour because this record was already done. You know, I sang on the original just hanging out in the studio. And Will heard me doing that's some, crazy. I was you're, like, you should do this. You're just chilling. And I was so you end chilling. Up on the record. And I would throw ideas out if I heard something that somebody wasn't, you know, filling. I was like, oh, Will, you should do this. And I would sing. And he was like, why don't you go do that? You know, and he would put me in the booth. And that's how I would get all these like songs, Dexter's Lab. And I did a lot of stuff for <laughs> throwing out ideas in the room. <laughs> Will, and I've met Will a bunch of times. Like, he's such a cerebral guy. He is. He is. Like, almost to the point where it's like, wow, he's such a cool geek. He is like, very cool geek. He, yeah, uh, he's he really a, smart. He had a watch once, and he sat down with me and explained this. And listen, I didn't, I didn't even know what he was saying. It was like, look, this is the future. He said, no, like, this watch is the future. <laughs> and I was like, hmm. 
Okay. And he started going through the little parts of the watch. Yes. I had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah. And I just had to fake it because I was like, I don't want to not be interested. Yeah. And he was so into it. And he was like, in 10 years, this is the future. This it was is. basically the iWatch. It basically was the iWatch. <laughs> yeah. This is like two years ago. Yeah. And it gets me in a corner and I go through a 30 minute tutorial. And then I thought he was going to give me one. Cause I just sat through a whole, I was like, all right, about to get yeah. a free watch. He's like, all right, Bobby, I'll see you later. And I was like, all right, well, <laughs> damn, I didn't get a free, I didn't get a free watch out of it. <laughs> so, uh, let's, let's go back, yeah. uh, to, to you being a kid, your dad, he, he was a DJ. He was a DJ. So he was on the radio. He was actually, no, more of a party DJ. Oh, so he was, a, yeah, let's, let's he was like the in the seventies, like spinning at, yeah. you know, people's clubs and party like kind re- of DJ. Like record player DJ? Yeah. Yeah, full of vinyl. So okay, so there's a lot of music in your life. Yeah. Hey, check it out. I just got a record player today. I got th- I get credit card points. I have that record player. I use my credit <laughs> card points, and I got it today because I, I, my credit card points were starting to expire, which I didn't know could happen. I, I love that thing. And so it came in the mail, and it wasn't broken. And I have my favorite James Brown record over there on it, and I was listening to it today. And um, I, like I like records. Yeah. Because they yeah. they sound like crap, and that's why I like them. Yeah. And it's all that static and yeah, lint it just that gets feels on the needle. like it's it was created in a really a, a upsetting way, and, I, <laughs> and and I like all my music upsetting. Like I like my songs upsetting. I like I just like upsetting music. Yeah. And so that's how vinyl sounds to me. And so I was I was, I was listening to that. Uh, I was so I was so excited. I just got right before you got here on on. Unpacked it. <laughs> so your dad's playing records. He's he's doing parties and stuff, and he's exposing you to what kind of music as a kid. I. With his record collection, it was a lot of the kind of like funk to do up records, a lot of disco kind of stuff. Like I discovered Parliament through my dad's record collection and the Temptations, the Spinners and Aretha Franklin, Tina Marie, who actually ended up being one of my biggest kind of like I was a huge fan of Tina Marie and the songs that she would do with like Rick James and those vocals. And she was like maybe five foot four yeah small stature but huge voice huge voice huge voice huge personality on stage um i was introduced to a lot of that music and i i think for me that kind of developed into my love of the rhythm section like i I say that like i play tambourine in the band and it's like one of my sole instruments in the band that i really play but also just in writing, like I'm so moved by a bass line. Like I can create a bass line. I can sing a bass line to a bassist and kind of, you know, give them an idea visually and, you know, uh, sonically of what I'm looking for on a track. And normally that's the driving force to a song that I'm writing that's, you know, not necessarily inside of the band. Um, and I love drums. I love percussion. You know, I grew up with all of that stuff. And my dad just introduced me to singers, you know, so I would like sit down and write every single word to every single song that I listened to that I loved. And I would sing it over and over and over and over until I like nailed every single cadence of that, the way that that singer sang the song and then started kind of developing my own version of the, of the tracks as well. And that really got me into songwriting. When were you good though? Like, when did you know, okay, I'm better than everybody else. As far as a singer is yeah, concerned? Yeah, as far as a singer is concerned. Like, when were you like, okay, I, I have, I've been practicing and I'm just, I'm, I'm better. What age? I think I realized, so there's two parts. I think I realized that I could really sing when I did my first talent show and I got a standing ovation from you, like. You were what, nine? I think I was nine, like nine or 10 years old. Yeah. And I was so nervous and I sang the song acapella. What song? Uh, the song "Just Can't Stay Away" by um, In Vogue. Oh wow! Back in the day. Yeah. So I did that. And you did my, band, my range was way high, and they, high up in. Yeah. They, they gave a nine-year-old a standing ovation doing an In Vogue song. Who yeah. probably didn't even know what she was singing about. <laughs> I mean, <that's, laughs> you exactly. probably had no idea, right? So, so you're like, wow. I mean, yeah. It, and it's like, man, I got to have more. Of I got to have more. Well, but yeah, for me, that was like, oh, I'm good at performing you know it was like the one moment because I used to get bullied in school that was like the one moment for me where no one could tell me that I was less than them you know like ever and I carried that with me for a long time like that was kind of like my performance was my you know kind of refuge from getting people to see that I wasn't what they were saying I was you know because how else do you do that when you're being bullied you're like "Eh." 
you know, I didn't want to fight and I wasn't into that kind of thing. So performance was what I did. And you grew up in? I grew up in LA. Um, my like junior high, like younger years. Cause I was born in Denver. I moved to LA when I was about six. Were you surrounded by a lot of other like talented, famous kids in your, no, uh, okay, I so didn't know anyone. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I had like friends. We would get into like dance and stuff like that, but I'd never, I think the very first famous person I'd ever met was actually Stevie Wonder. I the met first the famous very person you first met Stevie Wonder? Was Stevie That's like Wonder. the last Just that person. little guy. That's like the last person you should meet <laughs> because there's really nobody, like there were like three people on that list of, of Stevie. How did you meet Stevie Wonder? My aunt uh, used to be a counselor for adoptive youth in inner city. And she worked for an organization called the Institute of Black Parenting. And every year they would throw like a gala and they would invite, you know, celebrities to come through and hang out with the kids and do the whole thing. So I went to one of those events and he was like the surprise guest. And I was like, Oh my God, Stevie Wonder is like right there, you know? And it's like, as I used to listen to his records, I know exactly who he was, you know? So I see him and then Flavor Flav was there as well, but he wasn't wearing his clock. So I didn't think it was him. I thought he was lying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. I thought he was lying to me. Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, you're, you're never, you know, it's like, you'll probably never remember me, but I get to meet like this guy, you know, he like influenced uh, most people all yeah. <laughs> and the people he didn't influence the people he influenced influenced them exactly you know exactly so okay so you're young you know you're good yeah there's some similarities i, I can just feel them too that's kind of how i found myself too was like yeah. you, you get the crap beat out of you until you find out how not to yeah and yeah. for me it was to be funny and that's where i found the control mm-hmm. like i finally found the control whenever i yeah. could finally be like i found my thing that i could do and so you start singing, and when was it where, okay, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to pursue this? And I would say second year of college. So you go to school. Like, you're going I to go college. To school. I go to school. Well, it's crazy because I didn't want to necessarily take on a music career in the performance realm. I just loved doing it. It was just something so that I loved hobby? to do. It was a hobby. What did you want to do? Then? I wanted to be the Diane Warren of songwriting. Like that's, I wanted to write songs for people and I wanted to help other people gain their careers and be creative in that realm, you know, kind of create groups and stuff. But with that, I had to kind of perform the songs in order to, for the songs to get heard. Um, which always turned into, are you doing a record? And I'm like, uh, not really, but I'm glad you think so. They're like, no, you should sing that song. So it always became, you should sing that song because I can't sing that song like you. I'm like, well, I don't want you to sing the song like me. I want you to sing the song like you. And I love the song, so whatever, you know. Um, So that's kind of what happened with me. And then it wasn't really until like my second year of college where I finally opened up my singing voice because I stopped singing for a long time. I didn't want anybody to hear it. I was like, because, oh, just singing this melody. Because I didn't want that response. Because you were really aiming for something I else. I was really yeah. going for something else. And you were always... so good, you were sidetracked. <laughs> Listen, this is the worst, best problem I've ever heard. She was so good at singing, she had to stop singing because she wanted to do something else. Like the greatest yeah. problem ever. I'm too good at this, so I'm just going to shut it down. I just shut it down. I started uh, studying music business. I did radio for a bit. Like I took a telecommunications course because I wanted to, I was like, I'm just going to play other people's songs. You know, like I have a cool voice. I got to figure out how to make it sound better on rec, you know, like on speaking. Cause I think it sounds horrible. Yeah, we all do. Speaking I, do voice I, I don't, sounds I horrible. hate, I hate, I hate it. Myself, <laughs> yeah. I hate, I can't listen to myself. I hated it. But yeah, I did that. But I, for me, it was like music business publishing. You know, I learned about, the commodity. And then I realized how many artists don't understand that. Which I was going to say is so valuable yeah. as an artist now that you kind mm-hmm. of know. And it all, it's all changing too every day. Yeah, I mean, every and, day. And with you know, all of the, the different platforms, it's like the Wild West. There still aren't rules. Mm-hmm. And people are still getting screwed. Artists are getting screwed out of you know, the streaming here. And, the, yeah. and being me, for example, I'm on both sides of it because you know, I'm making music. Uh, not, yeah. not on the level you are, but we're making kids records and comedy records and it's getting streamed, but then I'm also playing it. And so there just aren't rules because it's so new at this yeah. point. Yeah. But at least you know enough to know 
if I'm, you're really getting screwed or not. Because a lot of artists, they just go in, and they're such good artists, that's what they focus on, and they don't put good people around them, and they also don't know. Yeah, and they realize that they're getting robbed at the end of it. At you know? the end at of it. At the end it. of it, which they, sucks, because there are so many artists. I mean, even artists that you and I grew up listening to, you hear about those horror stories and TLC. how their publishing got sold off to three or four different people, yeah. and... You know, they didn't know that. So when they're trying to get a license for something after they're able to get their catalog back, they don't realize that some person that died is still having ownership of their publishing entity. And this person wants to get as much money as they possibly can. So they're kind of holding up things, you know, versus being smart about it and saying the little goes a long way because it starts to big up to, you know, build up to bigger numbers once you get that license. You know, it's really in how you kind of build your business, I guess. When you when you think about your commodity, you it's, know? A, it's an odd background to be creative, but come from a place uh, of of in the creative industry, but in the very analytical side of it. Yeah, that you come from. Yeah. A, that's a, it's a really odd. Most people don't want to think about that. Most creatives you know? are creative because they don't they don't want to think about that. Yeah. Like yeah. you know. Uh, creatives are nuts. You're one of the odd ones. I'm <laughs> like one of the weird ones. You're one of the... probably why I shouldn't be doing this. You're, you're, I should be making money off of other people. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as you, uh, you're in your second year of school and you, you decide, okay, I'm going to do this, uh, you start singing again. So what's the, what's the goal when you start singing again? Is it to go and be a solo artist? Is it to get a band together? Um, I actually got asked to sing on a chorus. For a song. And it's crazy because I wasn't doing it on purpose. I was hanging out. I was dating this rapper dude. What we, we know, went what to we a know studio. the rapper? Uh, no, you okay. wouldn't. They never, they never got their deal, unfortunately. Um, it's not Ja Rule. Not Ja Rule. Okay. Not Ja Rule. All right. Though he could have been. He could have been Ja Rule. Um, just bad timing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just in the studio with him. They were working on this song uh, that they wanted to throw on their demo because they had a meeting with like Virgin Records at the time when Virgin existed. And... Uh, do they even exist anymore? Uh, in, they, in very small, they, very small, portions, very small. Like, yes, and even then they sell catalog records. I think just the name. <laughs> yeah, even the airline's not even Virgin anymore. <laughs> he sold that too. He but, sold that too. Yes, it's still alive, but probably not with the same people. Yeah. So you you sing on a song. So I sing on a song, and it snowballed from there. You know, I was singing this uh, this like disco song. They were sampling, and I was just singing along, and they were like whoa, you can sing, like had no idea. I've been hanging about with the dude for like a year and a half. No idea that I could sing anything. He just knew that I wrote and whatever. And uh, anyway, long story short, I do that. And for whatever reason, this song became the song that everybody knew them for in LA, you know, in the underground kind of like hip hop circuit. And then from there, it kind of became like who's singing on that track. And then, you know, I had this thing about hanging out with, like, hip-hop dudes or whatever. So, did you hang out with Nas? Did not hang out with Nas. Did you sing on a Nas record? I sang why on a I Nas record. Why, do, why, do, why does Nas come to my mind? Uh, Damian Marley. So, that Damian Marley and Nas project that they had done together, I got called in for. Which, by the way, the guy that called me in was uh, an old percussionist in my, my project when I finally decided to just go for a solo thing and just kind of mess around with stuff. When I was still kind of like in college and stuff, that's that's where that project came from. He remembered me. His name's Leon Mobley is his name. He's a ridiculous percussionist. He calls me. Now he actually calls another friend of mine to get to me because he lost my number. And then I get this phone call. It's like, hey, you want to come in and sing for this Damien Nas, you know, Damien Marley Nas project. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, how do you get my number? And Which, by like, the way, and I'm yeah. a huge hip hop guy, like Nas... Depending on who you talk to, yeah. arguably one of the greatest rappers of all time. One of the greater. Yeah. Yeah. Um, commercially, not as big as some of the ones that people would say is the greatest of all time. But mm-hmm. Nas is arguably one of the greatest. Yeah. He is one of the greatest. But some people put him at number one. You know, Nas is that. I don't. That's I, I don't. I would say he's in the top 10 for me or top. I would say top, top 10 for me too. 10? But I have some friends that are so diehard Nas fans. Especially when him and Jay Z were like big time beating big, each other, yeah, yeah. And he and, and Nas was like just going hard at Jay, like that's when Nas really like poked his head out in the commercial world when, it, when <laughs> those. But I have some like the friends that are just no, huge. Like, right. Nas is like, yeah. the, but he does have a sound. He has a yeah. He has a different sound. He has a way a way when I talk about you know cadences and the way that yeah. people you know speak and and the way that they convey their music. 
hip-hop is like that. And I feel like hip-hop now, because it's changed so much, I feel like with this new era of, of music, I don't think anyone has a style. They all sound exactly the same to me. You know, I would agree on the most it's part, except for the guys them, who get but, crazy. Like, yeah. I'm gonna t- like, I'll give you an example. Uh, and the easy one is, like, f- everyone loves Kendrick. For me, it's hard to listen. Oh, to I it. love Kendrick. For me, it's hard to listen to a full Kendrick album though, because it's so yes, nuts. Yes, it is. It's so nuts, and it's all over the place. Yeah. Like Drake is easy to listen to. Yeah. Because it's just, but, but he's Drake is not the best rapper. But, no, but, but that's the thing. He's he an amazing rapper. Be. Oh, he is. If it, he stops singing, he, people would hear that. I love Drake's records, <laughs> and I can listen yeah. to a full Drake record. Yeah. With Kendrick, it ti- it makes me tired. It makes you tired. I mean, to Pimp a Butterfly, yeah. the whole thing is just like you know, there's horns here, then there's nothing but drums <laughs> the next song, yeah. and then he's humming <laughs> with a kazoo. The ne- and I'm just like, I don't have the mental capacity, to, <laughs> but I understand. This is on a whole different level. Yeah. Uh, the same thing, even, you know, with, I was watching today, like Chance the Rapper. Like I was watching him today and he was playing on stage with a couple guys on guitar and it was very Common-esque. He kind of broke it down Common-esque. Yeah. And it was kind of old school, but he's kind of, like, listen, There's some, a lot of going, lot going on in that performance. Did you, did you know the performance I'm talking I know. I just, I just did watched you see, it. I watched it too. And I posted on my Facebook page and I can't throw it out there in the world because I don't like doing that kind of thing. But I was, I felt like you did listening to a, but for other reasons. It was just, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I appreciated it. I very much appreciated yeah. it. But for me, it was a lot. Now, as in a Drake, it's not a lot, but it's awesome. Yeah. I don't need it to be a lot. Yeah. But uh, so, so yeah, with it. So you're saying with the hip hop guys, you think a lot of them sound the same right now? I do. I really do. I mean, from the singing thing that's been going on since T Pain blew it up, you know, and he doesn't get credit for that. He created that style. He created that effect. That effect yeah. is his license. Yes. But he got it from Roger and Zap. That's you know. What and what's amazing about T Pain is a lot of people he can actually sing. He can sing. The funny he thing is, if you take the auto tune off, off, he sings like an angel. He's amazing. He doesn't even need the auto tune. And then, of course, Kanye did uh, 808. Yeah. And did the whole and he sang the whole record. I was like, Kanye, come on. But now, but that but was now, the influence yes. from T Pain and Roger Zap era. But that wasn't like vocal. You know, it wasn't vocal order. This was a specific sound that this man put on the map, and no one gives him credit for it. And I find it fascinating. This is what I mean by people kind of, you know, give credit where credit's due. You know, don't leave people. Maybe because the songs weren't weird. that deep. Maybe it's because I'm in love with a stripper doesn't really I'm get. I'm in love with the stripper. Right. Maybe but everybody knows that song. I'm not saying anybody doesn't know the song. I'm about you a drink. But I'm saying maybe it's because of what the songs are about that maybe he people don't want to give him the credit as being the influencer. But he was. You're absolutely yeah. right. Like he yeah. started that sound that everybody uses. Now. Exactly. I mean, Drake, now he can't Drake, get rid of Drake it. Drake sings on all his tracks the same with the same. With the same. I know, but Drake didn't start off singing. Right. Sang rapping. But he heard other people do it. And listen, yeah. if, uh, I, I think for me, like you're talking about style. I'm talking about like people like Black Thought from The Roots. You know, they weren't necessarily like the biggest commercial like success. They had one record I think did really well because they had like Eric Badu on it at the time and all these different, you know, awesome artists that were killing it features. on radio. Right, a lot, a lot of, features of features on that record. On that record. But he's one of the most amazing rappers if you actually millennials if you're listening to me right now if you want to hear real hip-hop music but don't, don't, don't call stuff. stuff real that's where i get not uh, real okay so like, not cause real because everything the like, classic stuff okay. i say i should say like the classic stuff for me which when i still put on that record it makes me feel good and i can see where the influences come from from all these rappers that are here now there are certain you artists know? when you say that and it is it's not even just in hip-hop but there are certain artists that if they were alive now and they put out new music today, it would still cut through as new. Yeah. And with me, you know, the argument is always Tupac or Biggie. And Tupac culturally was so much more relevant than Biggie was. However, if you took a Biggie song right now, yeah, like right now, and you put it on the radio, it would sound like it a would. brand new rapper. Like, exactly. To me, of the t- if you're just taking the product, nobody was as good as Biggie. He was so far, he was 10 years ahead of the game. He was 10 years ahead of the game. And I think it's also with his voice, you know, it worked on record. He had this, like, no one could sound like Biggie 
Unless they were trying to, right. you know. Unless they were emulating, Unless they were emulating his his sound. The same know? thing with like Led Zeppelin. Like I think a band like that, you listen to them, and if that came out today, it would be on alternative radio, and people would go, "Yeah, dang, this is fresh and new." And there are only a few of those that you you hear now, and looking back and go, "Dang, that still sounds like today." Yeah. It it was so far ahead of its time, and mm-hmm. I think even with you guys' music, it's the same thing. I think at times you guys are ahead. Do you ever think you're ahead of where things are? And yeah, it, and I and think that's scary. Have, and I it, think that's a scary thing. And, <laughs> it hurts you sometimes. And it does hurt you sometimes. It does. And yeah. then you get appreciated later. But like you know, I mean, I can play any of this stuff here. Like like even like Money Grabber back in the day. Like mm-hmm. if you were to back in the day. It sounds like a 60s record, and you're yeah. like, what in the world is this? This is interesting. Yeah. yeah. And that was our calling card, you know? I mean, it does. It sounds like you're in an old studio in Detroit. Yeah, that was that old ribbon mic we were using, this old crappy ribbon mic. You know, it's up until this record, we recorded pretty much... Every single song in Fitz's living room at his old house in Silver Lake, you know. So we got all of the sounds from the floor to the little echoes in the in the room. That all cut in, you know, into the tape. But it was just something about this one little mic that we would use, which I thought I sounded wretched on. You know, like I he would play the dry track back and I'm like, you better put like 20 different effects on my voice because that sounds awful, you know. But it worked. And for whatever reason, when he and I started, you know, kind of mixing the the songs with our voices together, it just clicked. And there was something about the spirit of, I, I credit that to the microphone and the mixing and stuff, of course, but there's always the tool. There's always one tool that you use that kind of makes everything kind of come together. And I kind of missed that mic. It, it stopped working after the second record, but if we could you get missed, it fixed. You missed the mic. I missed that mic. Yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, some of the other little interesting things that uh, you sing, you sing with Miley on a track. I not, no, I did not sing with Miley on a track. I performed with is her. Is that what it is? Yeah. I just know yeah. these things from like, I'm well, still getting money off of that show. Well, too. What was the show? <laughs> it was some Disney channel event. Not kidding you. Like in Anaheim, it was like this daytime show, like special show. And she performed. This is like when she was still doing Hannah Montana yeah. kind of stuff. And I was there. And you sang with her. Yeah. It was just one of those random it was Hannah so random, Montana cause songs. I, yeah, because I'm mean, like, I didn't know anything about her. But I, I don't know. But that's the funny thing about my career. I would always get these random phone calls from people that heard about me through someone else. It had always been kind of a word of mouth thing. You know, it's all of the hip hop stuff that I got with the exception of the Black Eyed Peas stuff was word of mouth stuff. You know, people that were fans of my former band, The Rebirth, and had seen me perform live. And they were like, wow, would you come in and like work with us? I know you write too. Would you be down to like write a chorus for this for this song? And I, you know, worked with all these these rappers that were out of like. I wouldn't say the underground. I don't really call them that because they were producing all kinds of albums at the time. But this record label that's very prominent in L.A. in the hip hop scene, Stones Throw Records. I worked with a lot of their artists, you know. Um, Aloe Black did a remix for my band's record for one of our songs. By the way, he's he's so nice. You should hear his wife. I, I haven't heard his, his wife. His wife is a monster. He came yeah. in and, and spent about a half hour, and then we ha- we've had three or four conversations, like just off to the side, and yeah. we email back and forth. Like such a pleasant. He's a good dude. Like universe kind of guy. Like just you yeah. just like you like being around him. Like he makes you smile and feel calm. Yeah. And, like you want him to kiss your forehead. Really calm. Yeah. He's just, yeah. Like I like that dude a lot. I want to talk about rebirth for a second. Rebirth. Yeah. Um, so. This this is this is your band. Yeah, this is my band. Yeah, so my former band. So, what song? Like, I have some stuff up here. Uh, how about oh, wow. uh, this journey in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can hear it. Like I can hear the influences just yeah. just in this. Yeah. Like the, there there is a constant in your music. Like in all it is. Yeah. 
so the rebirth, you start the rebirth. Uh, and so to give me the brief history, the beginning and the end of this. So I met Carlos, my, my bandmate, in the rebirth um, at, <laughs> at a show that I sang with with these hip-hop dudes. <laughs> I did some backup kind of stuff for them. And he approached me and he's like, hey... You know, I've been trying to put together this this project, you know, for a while. It's kind of a defunct off of another project that I had done, but still haven't really found a singer. Would you come into a rehearsal and just kind of check us out and see what you think? So I go to the rehearsal. It's like in this hot garage in Glendale, and there's like six other dudes in there. And I'm like, oh, great. It's going to be like a dude fest, you know, in here. And I get in there and I guess he had started working on the bones of this journey and it was just at the time, just instrumental. He was like, yeah, I've been working on this instrumental for a while because they were going to be an instrumental band. He just wanted to... Wow, is that right? <laughs> yeah, we were just going to do a couple songs together. Instrumental band. I was like, okay, cool. Let me go check it out. They played this, and I was like, wow, this is really dope. But it took me a while to kind of commit to the project. Because... I didn't want to do it. You didn't want to sing? You didn't want he to do caught project? Me at, I didn't want to do any band. I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm just going to do Noel Skag solo and that's it. And it was still around the time that I wasn't really like interested in a career like that. I wasn't. And uh, he finally locks me down by telling me, listen, you know, you're doing all this stuff with all these other guys and blah, 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 blah. And I'm waiting for you. Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to try this? And I was like, all right, fine. Let's let let me write those lyrics to Journey in. And I'll go in with you. So that's what got and you. So you wrote the lyrics to an instrument. Yeah, I co-wrote the lyrics with him. And he is such a spacey dude. Now, Carlos is a genius. Like, talk about people that are into music and interesting things. Like, Roy Ayers, period, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Like, he is the man in that in that world. He's also a DJ as well. So. Just stray away. Stray away. Yeah. Bobby going deep. <laughs> I think it was 20, maybe 20. Man, so good. Thank you. So good. Thank you. So you sang the national anthem last year is yeah it, what's it uh, the very cold cold Green Bay. The Green Bay was it Green Bay and the Cowboys? The Dallas Cowboys, yeah. So. The National Anthem is a song, by the way, an awesome song, but a song I have a lot of friends who are artists that are like, it's worst a tough. Worst song to sing it's ever. The, one, it's the worst song to sing, and two, there's it's no win. It's so hard. You don't win because if you nail it, everyone expects you to nail it. Yeah. And it's like, cool. But if you don't, yeah. it's, a, it's a nightmare. Yeah. Because you just did the greatest song of our country wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so. For, I think I stayed in the middle <laughs> of that, like. Here is... No! It's awful. <laughs> so you're singing the national anthem. Yeah. And by the way, again, a really hard song to sing because it changes in the... I mean, it's constantly. On, it's constantly changing. Yeah. All through the song. Uh, is that a nerve-wracking thing as compared to going on stage and performing with oh, the band? Oh, yeah. Like, it's crazy because, first of all, I'm doing the national anthem acapella on national t- television in 13 degree weather with jets <laughs> timing timing it's yeah. just like everything that could be happening in your head is happening at that moment but when you're on you're on so you're kind of like okay i'm on if anything goes wrong i can't turn back you know so it was kind of like i i got nervous kind of looking around and finally realizing where I was standing. Was it weird to be nervous? <laughs> it was weird to be nervous during a performance. Right. I mean, because again, that's what you do yeah. all the time. Is it weird to be nervous when you're about to sing? When you're about to sing and when you're singing is really, that's the tough thing because that's, it's hard to hide that. My, it's so crazy because my vocal trainer, this uh, woman named Valerie Morehouse, who does a lot, a lot of work, she was always telling me, drink a shot of bourbon before you do any show <laughs> because it kind of helps relax you and it keeps you from doing weird, weird stuff if you are nervous. That was the first time I think in years I had ever felt that kind of fear. You know, like, wow, if I screw this up, it's going to be the worst of the internet. 
And if you nail it, and if you nail cares. it, nobody cares. Like you're just. But if you're in the cool. middle, it's almost awesome because it's like you get the trolls and you get the people that are like, "Shut up, she sounded amazing," and that's what I got. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you guys play a live show, what's what's the song that gets the biggest pop? Live show wise, yeah, I would. I gotta be honest with you, the Walker is still kind of yeah. our rowdy song. Yeah, I mean, it's also you know? our time to. I mean, it's it, people have had time to love it. Too. They've had time to love it. I mean, hand claps, amazing beat. I mean, really, I it's would, good. I love hand Jumping clap, up and down but it's so song. new. Yeah, that it's kind of hard to, with the song and with the record and with the artist you develop relationships with. Yeah, and so with the Walker, like even me, like if I that this would probably be the song that would be like that's what I'm talking about. Like, is it, <laughs> is it my favorite song? No, but what I probably get most excited about hearing yeah. that live, probably yes, because. I've been able to develop a relationship with a song like that. Yeah. Even like Money Grabber too. Like it, that, that's way early. But it's crazy because they all change. You know, it's like something that I've noticed with us touring, you know, over the last like three months on this album is that we have such a mixture of fans from the old fans that have been following us since the first record to the fans that discovered the first record at the end of it, but we're really into the second album and then till now. And it's amazing. We still have this really crazy cross genre of like demographic, I should say, of people that come to our shows. And what I've been noticing now is people are really familiar with hand clap. So it takes them a little, little bit longer to realize that we're playing the walker. Whereas before, the minute we played the walker, people were like, oh my God, they were like losing their minds. So it, I think it just depends on the timing. Like you're right. You have time to kind of figure it out but i feel like there are more millennials now listening to this album than we had on our second so they're very familiar with hand clap they're all really fun to play though it's got to be a little nerve-wracking to style change a bit because again and, yeah. and, and we're hearing just with the fits and the tantrum stuff there's a style change in just the music that you guys have done yeah and you have fans, and when you change anything, somebody's going to get irritated. Oh, 100%. Always. And you have to keep moving forward or you go backward. Yeah. So it's all, it's almost, uh, I mean, it's a gamble every single time. Yeah. And so, it's almost, and it's always kind of like, where else are we going to take this? You know, because it's kind of like you're saying you can't go backwards, but I feel like because we have, at this point, people should know that. The Fitz and the Tantrum sound is going to be the Fitz and the Tantrum sound. Fitz and I are always singing. James is playing on the record. You know, there's different textures and layers and personality that come out in our music that I still feel are quite there, even if progressively we're changing as far as what people feel genres are supposed to be. I can hear, as I, again, as we play the stuff from The Rebirth, Mm-hmm. Even with the fits and the tantrum stuff, like I can hear the similarities in your style. Yeah. Like, as you say, there's always that, but there's the outside stuff that's always changing. And then yeah. people just don't like change. Oh, they don't. They just don't like change. That's a psychological thing, yes. too. It it's, really it's is. It's more than just music, but people just don't yeah. like change. Yeah. Until they love it. Yeah. And then they love it. They were like, I hate, I've seen so many comments like this. I hated this song when I first heard it. And now it's the only thing I ever want to hear. I'm like, thanks, after you, like, S-H-I-T-T. Yeah, all over it. I, and, all and wrote it. 50 bad Facebook messages yes. and personally attacked. Oh, I hate the way that they've yeah. gone. And then the next thing you know, you're, like, all up on it. Are you guys getting any of the, oh, you guys are getting too big for your britches now? Now oh. that you're doing some of the big stuff? like oh, Yeah, cool. yeah. it's almost like you guys have sold out. Yeah. I'm like, we sell out shows yeah, all like, the time. We, it's amazing. We do this to make money. Like, Thank you. If you had a job and you got a raise, <laughs> I wouldn't be on your Facebook page being like, Jim in accounting, yeah. you're selling out, buddy. You took the middle management. <laughs> job because <laughs> people do that they're like they do you're selling out it's like no we're working hard to move up in the world well yeah because we have to we have, have to, to pay our rent you gotta eat we have to you know we got people got kids i don't have any but they have kids man so <laughs> uh fool's gold here we go this is the jam thank you That's a fun. That's gonna be a fun one to do, right? That's a fun I mean, it, record. It, yeah, that it's was a so, fun that song. That song is so like big and poundy to me. Like it's it's like intense fun. Yeah, that was a fun song for us to write. Fitz and I um, went to a producer's house named Dave Bassett, who co-wrote this song with us, and we started. And 
they always tinker around and they do their thing with production and I'm always kind of sitting in the corner writing out stuff. It sounds like you do a lot of sitting and just observing until yeah, it's time to make a splat. It's like yeah. you sit <laughs> and you watch the pool for four hours and then you do the biggest cannonball right when <laughs> everybody's about to go home. You're like, here I come. Boom. <laughs> That seems to be the style, too. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with me sitting in my room when I was a kid, like, by myself. You know, I was always used to just, like, being the kid in the corner in a room by herself, writing. So it's like I I try to now bring that out a little bit more when I'm collaborating with people so they don't think that they're, you know, that I'm not contributing. And then when I do, they're like, what? You know. So what's uh what what's what's the next six months like? What what's the goal? The next six months goal yeah. is to get a number one. Yeah. Yeah. The song. That's is, our. It, that's our. We need to climb. We're 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 climbing the charts. That's our goal. Do you know what, where you're at right now? I don't even look at the at the alternative or pop charts. We're on. Uh, I think we're at number sixteen, seventeen on Hot AC. Really? Yeah. With this with hand clap. Yeah. Yeah. I obviously love the song because I played yeah. it on freaking country radio and got yelled at by country program directors. But I don't care. Like, I yeah. just, you know, I just don't care. And just... we're actually on our second single. Just went to alternative. Really? Yeah. Climbing up there. It's I good. didn't know that one. I'm still, I'm yeah. still on this one. Yeah. I work out to this song too. It's in my workout playlist. <laughs> Problem is, I actually do the claps. I'm running. It, it slows me down. It slows a bit. you down I, a little I gotta bit. Say, yeah, All when right. I work out to hand clap, it does kind of impede. <laughs> you gotta be careful. It does impede clapping. my progress because I'll be running. Yeah. Like, oh, you got to you got to be careful on those treadmills, clapping and stopping. Mike, you have any you have any questions for Noel? Oh yeah, that song was on a on a Fiat commercial, right? Yes, yes. How and they've actually just asked to extend it because it was doing it's doing so well for them. How does that yeah. go down? They just approach well, you guys. They put yeah, they put in a re- license request and you know. We want to extend it for an extra 3 cuz you get options. Is that decent you know? money when yeah. you get a commercial? Is that what you want? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you want it m- even more so if you can actually get union out of it too as like a, a songwriter as a singer as an actual performer on it you want to get as much as you possibly can because they end and then it's gone right. you know and you hope that you get the the next you know at least like year full of at least five commercials and you're good you know We've been so fortunate in the licensing game. Knock on, <laughs> knock on all of it. Knock you know. on whatever that. That's why I named real wood. Whatever that yeah. is, reclaimed formaldehyde. <laughs> Something yes. else. You know, we've been very fortunate that you know people in that world, in the ad world, in the creative world, want to use our music to help better their brand marketing. You know why you know? I think because it make your music makes people smile. And that's mm-hmm. a hard thing to do, period. Just playing something upbeat yeah. doesn't make people smile. Yeah. But yeah. there's a lot of that inside of you guys' music. Like yeah. It's it's, a, it's not even all happy music, but it, it, your music, I mean, that's a, that song makes you smile. I mean, yeah. I hear it and look, I'm smiling right now. I can't yeah. even hold it. <laughs> I'm trying to fight it. Mike, what else you have over there? Uh, did you really model an art piece for Kanye West? I did. I did. Vanessa Beecroft was the artist for the 808 Heartbeat. She did his record release party at this event, and he wanted to do this kind of like live model setup, uh, basically mimicking the heart that was on the cover of the album. Yeah. And at the time, I was doing when I wasn't on the road. I had like a modeling agent that I acquired, you know, for either commercial and whatnot, and then also a film agent as well, which I still have the agent. Um, And. I guess she had sit, submitted my photos and she was like, oh, come in for this audition thing. And I didn't know what it was for. You go in, you don't know what they're for. And I went in and did the photos and they were like, are you okay with being nude? I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I leave and then, like, I think the day later I got a call and uh, I think the photographer knows you. She said she's shot you before in the past, but she really, really wants you in this art piece. Are you down? And I was like, well, what is it? And they were like, oh, it's for a live art piece for Vanessa Beecroft. And I was like, what? Because she's mad. Like, I know her work. She's massive. But I didn't know. I met her at my best friend's house at a house party that we had thrown seven years earlier. And you didn't know it was her? I didn't know it was her. I didn't know that she was Vanessa Beecroft. Right. When I met her, I met her just Vanessa. And at the time, she was introduced to me as a photographer. 
I knew Vanessa Beecroft for her live modeling pieces. I didn't know she actually did anything else, you know? Um, so anyway, I got that call and I ended up doing that art piece and it's so funny. I was like, they, you had the option, you could wear a wig on your face so nobody could actually see who you are. And it's mm -hmm. just about the body or you could do it without and you know, whatever people are going to be walking around you, just be aware of what you want to do. So I was like, yeah, wig on my face. I'm totally fine with everything else. So I did this piece and I can see out of the wig. And I'm not even kidding you because she had me at the like front part of the heart next to this like really thin, beautiful, like African model, like supermodel girl. And I'm thinking to myself, I look so chubby right now. Like everybody's <laughs> probably like comparing the two of us. And well, I am pops up. And I was like, thank God I have this wig on my face. That's all <laughs> I can think of. Because <laughs> I didn't know they were going to be there. You know, it's like him and then Five of our other friends follow behind him. And I was like, oh, my God, thank you so much. They didn't know it was you. Didn't even know I was there because after the show, I bounced. Like, I was like, I'm out of here, you know. So I have all these weird, like, little. There are a lot. Uh, there are a lot of weird more? stories. Uh, what's yeah. the last show you binge watched? Last show I binge watched. Um, I just binge, finished binge watching Narcos. And now I'm, like, crazy about The Voice, the new season of The Voice I watch. Uh, what did you think of season Hulu. two of Narcos? I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay, too. It was a little slow. It was a little slow, but I do like the way that they threw in how they're going to do the third season. I do, too. Season. I, I wondered, because just I love history, and obviously Pablo yeah. Escobar died, and it's a Google away. Like It's not, <laughs> it's a, a, it's not a spoiler Thanks alert. Thanks for like, ruining it right, for like Lincoln gets yeah. shot in the theater. The boat sinks. The like These are things yeah. that have happened. Like we, But... I wonder too, like, please don't extend this four seasons of it chasing Pablo yeah. Escobar. Yeah. And so, but now, you know, it, it, yeah, I don't want to tell anyone how yeah. it goes into now, but it was a little slow. I did enjoy it. It, it was cool. Once you got into it, though, you couldn't get out. Like, you, you couldn't stop You're watching hooked. it. Yeah, like, you kind of need to see more death. Yeah. What's wrong with us? Like, <laughs> it's because it, is, it doesn't seem humans? real, but it doesn't seem real. It's, it was, yeah. it was so bad. But yeah, it doesn't seem it doesn't real. Seem real. It's yeah. like this odd fantasy land of that. That can't be true, but yeah. that's real. But it's real. But that's the crazy thing, you know, about television. It's and it's probably one of the reasons why I don't watch that much of it. You know, it's like I'm probably not like my friend makes fun of me in trivia because pop culture comes up and I'm out. Like I'm like I don't know who you're talking about. You know, I don't know what that song is. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. But. I'm so easily entertained that it's really like when I get into a show, I am in it. I don't care how bad it gets. You know, it's like, I just want to see a good part of it come out of this, this process of death that's happening to the show right now. Are you, are you, I mean, you're on the road yeah. I mean, quite a bit. Do you use Netflix everything? Is that pretty much your mode of shows or your downloader? I'm kind of addicted to like, Law and Order stuff. Oh wow! You really? know, it's like we get like regular television, so yeah. I kind of watch a lot of Mariska Hargitay and those shows are good. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen an episode. You get like sucked into them, so you watch one. Well, I mean, like... I, I I figure they're good because they've been on for twenty yeah. years and it's things like don't how you last. Like your your music kind of dark and yes. sad. I like watching television shows where it's like crime and you know somebody died and we got to figure it out yeah because you watch five minutes of it and you're like well i can't not see how this ends yeah. so you end up watching like the whole thing it's like when we got we got um license for a episode of criminal minds um which at the time was like my favorite show it was like shamar moore as like a like a cs whatever the hell yeah. he does <laughs> i was like oh my god this is the most amazing thing ever Love that show. We got that call. It was like, hell yeah, they could have it for free. They could have the music. We just want to be on. Just give them, just give them <laughs> the song. It's totally fine. Next thing I know, they're cutting an edit, an edit of the actual video in the scene. We're like, oh, cool. And we see it, the opening scene, and just has this on this little TV in the kitchen. I was like, oh, that's all you're going to see. Then it turned into a full music video. It was like cut into the oh, murder wow. scene to the like big screen of money grabber and me dancing and singing and stuff and somebody getting stabbed. It was amazing. That's, that's cool. Me. That's me. That's, so. that's, that's dark stags. And unexpected though. And unexpected. Yeah. Because we cool. didn't know how the edit was going to be. Well, uh, <laughs> 
you have a very interesting life and thank career. You. That's really cool. Um, thanks for, for hanging out. Thanks for having me. And just sitting and, and talking. Yes. It's like I got into the mind of a really creative banker. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best description. It's like <laughs> the hippie accountant. It's like the two things that shouldn't be together are, and it makes it even strangely cooler. <laughs> so, listen, everybody, uh, hand clasp my jam. I hope uh, this thing keeps climbing. And Thank you. I'm really happy for you. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm not just uh, blowing smoke out. It's the first the first day it came out, I was like, holy crap, this song is so good. I got to play it immediately <laughs> on country radio stations all over America. And so uh, uh, send along my best to everybody. Thank you. Thanks and, for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. So here we go. Go, uh, go see them if they, uh, they come around. Buy the music. And listen, buy the, let me say this. Buy the music. Don't buy stream the music, it. Don't please. stream it. Yeah. I always say it. You want to help the artist? You want to support the artist? I got to feed artist? my dog. Yeah. Buy the music. Don't stream it. <laughs> it's easier to stream it. But if you really like, find your few artists that you love and support. I you can get it for sixty nine cent on iTunes. You can. Yes, you can. Dang, discount in that discount. little sixty nine cent song. <laughs> it's uh, listen, I can't and we can't go and buy if you love music and buy every artist. No, you cannot. But you can take your five or six that you're super passionate about and support them. And that's what I always say. Like, find your middle ground and support the artist because if you don't, right now, artists are getting screwed like crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then yes. you go out and tour. You go out and tour and you make your money touring. We do, but it's exhausting. And then you, you travel you, and then you got to split the money. You sacrifice a lot. <laughs> it costs a lot of money to go on the road. Yeah. Fits in the tantrums. Noel Skaggs, thank you very much for thank coming you, in. Thank you, Bobby. We're going to go. That has been episode 13. And uh, next week we have our, our very first ever like sponsor that's paying to be part of the show. Yeah. You're on the very, very last ever cool free show. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next week, we got like somebody that's like, we want to have our. So uh, I don't even know. This thing has gotten so crazy. Thanks to everybody who listens to it. And I don't. I don't even accept that. I don't accept that. <laughs> congratulations, because it's so weird that, that so many people listen to this. I don't even know what to say. Uh, thank you. Episode thirteen is over. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, guys. Bye.